Welcome to this week's episode of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sopani. Today's episode is broken down into two parts. Part one, Alan Dodson of Villarreal USA joins me to preview the Villarreal game tomorrow. Um, talk about Villarreal's struggles this season, how they'll match up against us, um, and uh, what they might do differently to turn their season around. Part two, Matt Wilsey joins me to answer some leftover questions from patrons uh, on last week's mailbag, so we dive into a bunch of fun topics. Bold predictions for 2019 being one of them. We discuss what happens with certain players like Odegaard, Brahim Diaz, uh, Rodrigo Gosh, Vinicius Jr., potential signings, um, Real Madrid not having an academy in so many different countries and why that might be, uh, but also the ultimate question, do we overrate players from this era? And was Marcelo really better than Roberto Carlos? And is Sergio Ramos really one of the greatest, or as uh, we've been told, the greatest defender of all time? Um, you'll have to listen to our hot takes on that in part two. All right, without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast with myself, Kian Sobani, part one with Alan Dodson, part two with Matt Wiltsey. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your midweek show that we're releasing for everybody because we missed Sunday's show and I hope you guys are all having a happy new year to kickstart 2019. We brought on Villarreal USA's Alan Dodson. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing great. Happy new year to you and everyone listening. Happy new year to you. And um, if if you find any solace at all um, that you're struggling this season... Know that a lot of us are struggling. Yes, it's been a it's been a very interesting um, first essentially half of the season, and and uh, it's it's been amazing. Where if you can win two games in a row, you can uh, go from the relegation zone to almost European places. It's been quite wild. I think that for those who are struggling this season, which if you like go down the list, there's there's quite a few. Like not even in, like for example in La Liga we have. Real Madrid, um, Valencia, Bilbao, you guys, even Barcelona, even though they're first in the league, they have 37 points. And I think you could say for all those teams who are quote-unquote struggling, what they have going for them is that it's just a tight league. So in any normal season, maybe Real Madrid's back like 12 points right now, but they're not. They're eight points in game in hand. You guys uh, are in the relegation zone. You're one win, one win technically even one draw and some goal differential away from getting out of it. So uh, I saw that you had written an article about, you know, the the, the similarities between this season and the, I believe it was 2012 you guys went down, right? Right, 2011-12, yeah. Right. Um, I, are, are you kind of like already entertaining that? Is that in your head right now? I think it is a little bit, but but not necessarily in a bad way. I think I think in 2011-12, um, there was a lot of uh, people believed until the end that we would survive somehow. Um, for one, partly because there were all these scenarios that needed to happen um, for us to go down, and they did. But you know, the bottom line was the team played, they were essentially terrified for the, about the last month and a half, and they played like it. Um, they played not to lose, and they frequently didn't, but they only drew. You know, there were plenty of games where they just looked like they were, yeah, it was like there was a there was a cliff behind them, and they were aware of that. And I think a lot of the fan base in 2011-12, because they had only grown up with the team having success after success, were just unwilling or unable to believe that something like that could happen. I mean, there, were, there was all this self-delusion about, well, maybe Valencia will let us win kind of stuff. Mm. This time, I think people 
are much more realized that, you know, it is a, it is a tough league. It, you know, nobody has a divine right to anything. And yes, we could go down. I mean, we look at, we look at Bill Bow right next to us who have never been relegated, who are struggling. And that's kind of tells you that, you know, it's, it's, you don't have a divine right to, to the, to be in the first division. And so I think the fan base is probably making that has made those comparisons, but, but maybe in a good way, because it's got us thinking about, Hey, we really need to do something to get out of this instead of just sort of expecting some miracle, which is what we did before. Right. So to your point, it's almost like, uh, this is basically rock bottom. The only thing that's left is to go down that there can't be any bigger wake up call than that. I think the, I think the really bizarre thing to me and, and, and this, to me, it's really weird that you guys aren't good. I think because th- there really hasn't been many issues with the transfer market. Your squad is really good. You had, you know, you weren't sure if you were going to be able to, um, I guess, find a good striker, but to come in. But then you got like the perfect one in Gerard Moreno, who hasn't really been himself this season. Mm-hmm. But you, you have like, like Fornals is is an, an incredible talent, and like Pedraza is a really good signing, and like these these guys. Basically, you know, are are him returning from loan rather. Um, getting Cazorla for free is like a no gamble move. Experience, get mm-hmm. you know. I, so these are like good players. To me, it seemed like Villarreal, the, like Callejo was just there was no experience with him, and even now with your with your caretaker manager, it's not like he has experience either. And I think that maybe worries me. About you guys with someone like Marcelino, you kind of knew you what you were getting. He was he was at Sevilla, um, and you know he was kind of a proven player, a proven coach. Right. You just don't have that. I don't I don't know if you have that leadership right now, and or 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 a tactical identity. It's kind of unclear because like Villarreal have always been like this quick, incisive, direct, fast fast moving. You know, high octane, move off the ball, get into the half spaces. None of that even like this year. I haven't I haven't really seen. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the I think the big problem. I mean, we knew when we hired Kaleha that it was a gamble, and I think obviously everybody believed that he could do it. Um, but I, I don't know. I see sort of three problems with the team, really, or or at least two. I mean, one was was Kaleha that the team didn't. We really did seem to struggle with a with an identity on on offense that we didn't really have a instead of the quick incisive forward play and getting the ball to the wings to creative wingers who could move it around and set up chances we did a lot of sort of side by side passing in the box you know outside the box just sort of passing a ball around we didn't have the it was easy for teams to set up and defend against us we still have gotten a lot of shots on goal but they haven't been great ones and we have you know, so so there's that. Secondly, is that we have had players, um, Moreno and Pedraza, I guess would be two, who we've expected more from than we've gotten so far. And that yeah. may be partly on the coach. You know, I don't know. Um, but there have definitely been players who have been underperforming. And maybe more on the defense than on the offense, really. And, and I think that's the third thing, is that the while we did some good things in the transfer market and we brought um, some of our players back um, on loan, the team spent more money on areas where it didn't need to spend as much and it didn't address some needs that we now realize we really have. Um, I think we expected Bruno Soriano to be able to come back and play at least some, and it's looking to me like that's not going to happen. We signed... um, Casares in midfield who's a good young player but he's not he's a different type of midfielder than what we what we were really I think needed and then on the back line we haven't really addressed we've got a very weak center back group I I think Um, partly again it's that none of them are really playing that well but we've never we've been reluctant to go out and get that um player who we could really build the back line around and you know i suppose we tried to develop a young talent with ruben Semedo, and that hasn't worked out very well but we we've had good success with you know bringing in the gabriels and the eric baiv sort of people 
but we haven't been willing to say, okay, let's spend $20 million on a center back instead of a striker. And I think maybe the center back is what we've needed. I think that's, that would, that's the key point that you eventually got to is your defense hasn't been good. And like, you know, there's been kind of, I guess, players who've come and gone. Um, but like Sid mentioned in his article, few, I don't know, what was it, a couple of weeks ago he wrote it, whenever it was, that only two two teams had faced more shots than Villarreal. Um, I think even more telling than that is your XG is hasn't been good. And I think there's only four or five teams that their XG has, has been worse than you guys. XG against, that is. Um, and two of those teams are Levante and Rayo, who are, are or sorry, Huesca and Rayo. Levante, Girona is the other one. Rayo and Levante and Huesca are just really bad defensively. And mm-hmm. so I I, think, the thing is, like, <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. Well, I think what's been happening, I think teams have figured out that pretty quickly that they can they can attack i mean the Wesca game was a was a perfect example where you just attack down the wings time after time after time um the the balance between uh, between attack and defense for us has been very poor and so we've left ourselves open to a lot of a lot of um attacks and a lot of a lot of shots and and that's something that i think our new coach I mean, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of experience recently, but he's had some good experience in La Liga in the past. And I think that's probably an area where he feels he can help is is tightening up the defense. But we'll we'll see. The Huesca game was uh, was was probably pretty gutting in for you to, to sit through and endure that late draw. If it makes you feel any better, Real Madrid escaped Huesca like barely um, yeah. in that game. But Here's why I'm not worried about you. Uh, I think like Rayo and Huesca are just bad enough that they'll, they're just going to go down. Their defending has been horrible this season, and I've and I've watched quite a bit of Rayo in particular, and it's just it's mm-hmm. staggering that they even it's it's, it's they're just horrendous defensively. Mm-hmm. I think you guys like even though you're struggling from what I've seen. There are like positive things which I think you can build on. You completely dominated Atleti, and Oblak was playing out of his mind that day. Yes. Um. So you you dropped a couple points there. You deserve to win, even though you lost against Barca. I thought you were doing things right, and there was like a period like in the first half where I thought you guys were actually maybe gonna, if not come away with something, at least like some kind of moral victory where you were doing the right things. You took away. What mm-hmm. Atletico does in in those games against Barca, where you played narrow, basically tried to cut off the supply to Messi, it looked good for like an extended period of time. Um, then you it eventually just um, basically kind of got overrun. And and by the way, like I I guess I just going through my notes from that Barca game, I think Samu is such a fun player to watch. Um, I know he doesn't play much, and you know he's. He's he's still kind of raw, but his dribbling, like in that Barca game, he gave them so many problems on that flank where they they didn't know how to defend him. Like he would cut in, take on PK, beat him, go past Alba. Like that was that was fun. And then I I think you guys have shown enough, like kind of like flashes that Bilbao, for example, haven't. That that kind of give give me yeah. this hunch that you guys will will figure it out. I think we probably I, I think we probably will. I think the thing that is a little um, we've definitely thrown away points that we should have come away with. Um, we've definitely um, been unlucky a couple of times. I mean, we should have beaten. Um, yeah, we should have beaten Atleti. Um, Oblak was was playing crazy. We had a, I guess, it was a Valladolid game where we where we just dominated, dominated, dominated. But their keeper was was but uh, was really good, and we kept fluffing chances. Um, I think those sorts of things, the thing that makes me feel a little better than I did maybe a month ago is that our strikers are showing signs of getting untracked, albeit, um, the, it took, um, you know, playing in the cup and, and Europe to sort of bring confidence back. But I'm seeing more of that now where heads were down, um, a month ago because everybody was just misfiring. Um, the thing that worries me is that is it, though is really the defensive solidity because I still feel that 
it's very difficult for us to defend a one-goal lead. Now, maybe maybe Luis Garcia Plaza will figure out how to make that work, and if he does, great. But I think right now that's the thing that we really struggle about. And, and Wesco was sort of a perfect example, albeit we were playing you know a man down. But you've got to see the game out. You've got you know you know you've got one last attack that you need to control, and you don't do it. And that's the sort of thing that that we've got to address because we can't give points away that way. When we got relegated, we did that time after time after time. So I hope that Wesco was sort of a wake up call to us to, to and to our coach who, you know, it was his first league game, but he barely had arrived at, I think he had like two practices maybe. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I think we're going to, I think we're, you're going to see us set up more defensively than we, than we have. Um, do you, and do you think, I mean, I suppose you're speaking in a general sense. Yes. You see that also for tomorrow's game against Real Madrid. Yeah, I do. I think, I think we probably are going to be, I, I think if I were looking at, at it, I think I would be primarily concerned with trying to defend and sort of keep um, the keep the front three under control, but particularly you, you don't want the, the crosses coming in that Benzema can finish, right? I mean, I think that's really, when you look at where our, where Madrid has succeeded against us, you know, it's either, it's either Bale making the long runs down the wing or it's um, Benzema finishing off the cross. And I think the, and I think those are the sorts of things that, defensively we've got to set up to be very aware of we can't let you guys play with as much width as you'd like to um i i'm trying to think back to the last time we recorded it was it was also a preview game before we played all i remember is that afterwards i don't i can't remember if it was the one you beat us at the burnabout or was it the 2-2 draw I think uh, it was the draw. I think it was the draw. Something the, the, controversial, I think, happened, right? Yeah, I think so too. I'm trying to remember. I now. think you even <laughs> make, maybe kind of gave me not an aggressive tweet, but I, I think I, I think I tweeted something like pro whatever happened in from the Rams' point of view. I don't, I don't know if you were happy with me. I, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember either. It was probably some. You know, there's usually one. Uh, handball or or a penalty incident or something is probably I don't remember yeah I honestly don't it it um I'm pretty sure it was that one though because the I think yeah I I I'm I'm struggling but it, but yeah it's been I think it was another January game I all I remember from that game was that Castillejo was giving us all kinds of trouble yes yeah that's right he um, was, speaking of him uh, what what was your do you, do you miss him? <laughs> I thought he was like a really really fun player to watch. He was, you know. I think I miss him. I mean, I think Samu is um, a fun player to watch on that wing too. I miss him. I, I think the thing about Sam about Castillejo was that when he first showed up, he was, you know, I mean, he's skinny anyway, but. Boy, it seemed like the first year he spent more time on the ground than he did upright. But he got his last year with us. He was really good. I, I really liked watching him, and I thought that I, I was sorry to see him go. Um, so you know, our our new Samu has uh, has got you know is is young and and raw, but has a lot of the same skills. Um, and is probably a better finisher in some ways. Um, so he hasn't played much this season. Uh, well, well, he's just emerged. I mean, this is yeah. this is the thing: is he was he was um, until um, until we he barely got in with the B team, and he sort of he sort of exploded on the scene in the in the B team playoffs. So he hasn't really. He hadn't really been supposed to be somebody we were even going to rely on this year. Um, what what do you what do we what do we need to know um, from a Real Madrid perspective in terms of personnel selection? What do we see anything differently other side from tactics? What what does your starting lineup look like tomorrow? <laughs> 
Yeah, and I was thinking about that this morning, and it's really hard to say because I don't know, you know, with the with the new coach, I'm not sure what we'll see. Um, mm. Here's the here's the sense I get though is that we are we are in the I mean this, this won't be ready for tomorrow, but we're in the market for we're apparently going to get um, Ibora from Leicester. Those those talks are apparently pretty advanced. Mm. We we clearly we've also been talking about getting a more a creative left winger. I don't know what that means if if it means Pedraza is going to play further back or what. Um, I think probably we'll set up in some sort of um, four. I think a four four two, but possibly a um, like a, a four two three one or something like that. Um, I think fundamentally we're going to be concerned with trying to trying to control this trying to control the the width of the pitch would be my would be my guess and we're going to be trying to to bottle up things much better in midfield than we've been doing. So to me I would think and I think we have Mario Gaspar is suspended because of the red card against Wesca so um I, I, we might see Miguel Layun in the lineup. He hasn't played much under Calleja, but I, but the word was that that Garcia, the thought was we might move him, but Garcia said no. I, I have I have a use for him, so I think we may we may see him, um, maybe on that right side in place of Mario. Um, Probably, I would guess we would go with um, Gerard up front, and if we have a second striker, it'll probably be Baca. I kind of like Ikambi as well, um, but I don't think he'll start instead. And probably we'll have Samu on one wing, and I guess Pedraza on the left wing. But I, his disappoint, he's been disappointing lately. So I think we'll be setting up. I, I, I think the. It's really hard to predict what's going to happen. I think both sides will score. I do think that. I think there's maybe a chance Baca comes off the bench if you guys want to play more defensive and <clears throat> and you know because that is something that Villarreal have done. <clears throat> you know, especially going into a place like the Bernabeu. I like the Ibora signing for you guys because. I mean, this is something we didn't really talk about. I asked you if you miss Castillejo. I'm sure you you maybe even miss Rodri even more. Yes, <laughs> Ibarra's no Rodri by any means. Um, he's he's on the wrong side of thirty, and he's only started three games in the Premier League this season. But what I do like about him is he's kind of got this character about him that kind of picks up the team. He's he has that like almost like that leadership quality, adds some fire and juice to the lineup, maybe a little psychological boost, and mm-hmm. just kind of fights in the most cliche way possible. I, I don't think that can hurt. I agree, and I think the and I think the other thing that would be thinking back to our 2011-12 year was that one of the things that really hurt us was that we had it turned out um, we have, the team had no money for signings in January, and so when here was a situation where if we had been able to sign somebody like Enabora or you know somebody where we where we could spend some money, we probably you know, we, we were struggling because Rossi was injured. We had sold Santi. Um, we had we had all sorts of injuries. We, if we could have gone out and spent $10 million on a striker, we could have stayed up. But we didn't have it. Mm. So, I think, so I think it's also a good sign to the team and to the fan base that, you know, we're going to do what it takes to get out of this. And, yeah, and Abora is, yeah, he's no Rodri, um, but he's, I think he can add some things that, we, that will really help us. Um, because we do lack that sort of leadership on the pitch sometimes. Before I let you go, can you give us your prediction for tomorrow? Keep in mind that Villarreal wasn't great last year. They were good, and they still took, they still won at the Bernabeu and took yeah. two points off us and, and, and played really well at the Ceramica. The Ceramica in that last so game, So you got to yeah. take that into context, I think. Yeah. It's a good question. I think they're probably going to. I, I, I'm going to go for. Um, 
I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw, but it could be 2-1 either way, I, I think. I don't. I think it will be, and I think I probably am hedging my bet because with the new coach, I really haven't seen him, seen what he's got, you know, seen how he's planning to play things. Hmm. But I do think it's going to be tight, and so I'll say 1-1, more or less figuring that we will um, probably – find a way to, to survive somehow. Um, I mean, you guys have, has, have struggled too. Sure. And it's, it's sort of, you know, albeit at a higher level, but you know, you, it's, it's, it's not a game where both teams are coming in playing well. And you mentioned the Barca match and it's like, well, that was a game where we almost got something because for the first time in a long time when we played them, they weren't on their game either. No. Yeah, so I think you know it's it's just been a weird season all around, and I think this might be another one where we, where it's one one, and maybe somebody gets a break late to make it two one, but it could go either way. Well, the story with Barcelona in that game, and and almost like like so many teams going up against Barcelona this season, they do the right things. Barcelona don't play well, but then there's Messi. Yeah, and like bit- that's been like a huge reason why they win points is him and Dembele essentially are two players who just get them points um Dembele nowhere near on level of Messi but he does has a he has a knack for popping up um yeah I I kind of like I don't think your prediction is is absurd I I think like my my gut is Real Madrid wins but I, I think it's not inconceivable there's a period in the game where like things aren't going well for Real Madrid and Villarreal are holding us off and then they snatch a goal, I don't know, like on either side of halftime. And then the Bernabeu starts like getting restless and they start groaning. And, and that, that is like something that happens regularly. So, yep, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um, yeah. yeah, I think we'll believe that's right. I think it's I think it's going to be. And if you think about it, I mean, go, even going back to like the, the Mourinho days, I mean, we, we've we've had some fun matches against Madrid. We've usually lost, but they've been fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I think I think it's it's um, it's interesting to me though that we have we have always been people always I don't know if they do it so much anymore, but they always talked about um, Villarreal as sort of oh like a little Barcelona, and yet we've played very well toe to toe against Atleti and Real. We can't get a damn thing done against Barca. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Who knows? I mean, I, I feel like it's we've played we've played a lot better um, the last few times we've met. So I have some hope. But, you know, I'm not going to if it turns out that you guys win two one or even, you know, three one with a tap in at the buzzer kind of thing. I I suppose I I can see that happening, too. I think it's going to be very difficult for us to come up with, with three points because we just did that the last time. And that was the first time ever. Where can people find your work? They can find us on, at virialusa.com, and they can also follow me on Twitter, um, groget one and they can also follow on Twitter, virialusa, and, and we're also on Facebook with virialusa. And we'll link that all in the show notes, um, and obviously the post-match stuff, while we will be covering it, virialusa also will. So if you want to see their perspective, um, maybe it'll be biased maybe it'll be completely fair I don't know but whatever it is go over there and be respectful and check it out um, they yeah. do great work yeah yeah. We, we we usually have some have some fun with our game threads and sometimes sometimes people get a little excited but you know we'll see what happens excited is good excited is good, good. Yeah. Excited Alan Dodson appreciate your time you're always welcome on the show you know that um, and uh, I hope to chat t- to you soon thank you so much for joining us so thank you and my pleasure welcome to part two of the managing Madrid podcast where i'm still here kian sobani is uh, still with you and we're bringing on matt wilty of managing madrid who you all know so well by now especially if you're a patron and you subscribe to our weekly loan tracker podcast matt wilty how you doing kian doing well happy new year first uh, first podcast for me of 2019 me as well we we kind of took a, a bit of a break. Like, you know, like everyone goes through this like mental kind of vacation. Even if you're not, even if you have to work, 
you just during this time of year now it's kind of over because january 2nd is like usually the official back to the grind day yep but like we didn't record a sunday pod and uh the the podcast before that we kind of we kind of blended and i think we only did one that week i can't remember and then obviously we only had kovacic play for chelsea for the loan tracker so we didn't record him i don't even know if he played i know he didn't start Um, yeah did he I come off the bench? Either. Yeah, I so don't know. This is why you pay us the big bucks for. But you know, <laughs> yeah. next week, Lone Tracker podcast will be back. Um, how do you feel about 2019? You feel good about Real Madrid? Optimistic? Ye- pessimistic? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's always with the crop. I'm always I'm a glass half full guy, so I'm always positive. And uh, with the crop of young players we got now, turning another year older. Um, it's another year for them to gain experience. You're seeing guys like Ceballo, Chirente, Fede, Vinicius all get opportunities, Regulon. So I think uh, I'm always going to be positive, even despite what has been a tougher year or tougher first half of the season. Um, I'm I'm positive. I, f- I feel good. So I, I some like just like quick news to go through because you mentioned Llorente, Ceballos, these guys. Unfortunately, Llorente is going to miss couple weeks two to three weeks i think um possibly more possibly left less which kind of sucks um <clears throat> but casemiro is also back now so there's that and hopefully Llorente will be able to just hold an important rotational spot in the lineup when he comes back and um mariano still kind of like he's been mia for for a bit mostly because of injuries and then when he's come back um, he hasn't played much. Looked good early on in his limited minutes this season in the Champions League. He's he's still kind of this day-to-day, not really sure what's going on with him yet. Um, but that's where we are in terms of just injury news and stuff. And basically part two of this podcast is going to be taking some leftover patron questions which we had that came in after we finished recording the last mailbag. So we're going to jump right into it. Pe- Kevin Redmond, one of our patrons, and by the way, if you're listening to this, you may not be a patron. Uh, if you want to jump on the Patreon train, patreon.com slash managingmadrid, you get different rewards, you get access to bonus content, usually two, at least two shows a week that no one else has access to, one of them being the loan tracker where we update you on the players on loan, another being the midweek show, so recaps to Champions League games, Copa games, midweek La Liga games, and also um, you get different rewards like guaranteed responses to your questions, you can pitch us articles to write thousand words of your choice as long as it's Real Madrid related so check it out patreon.com slash managing Madrid Kevin Redmond says hey guys happy new year to you and everyone listening 2018 was much more enjoyable having the podcast in my life so thanks thank you Kevin you guys talk about how crazy the transfer market is right now and how it would be ill-advised for the club to jump in and pay more for a player who is probably valued less my question is, at this point, is the market unavoidable? The club has done great with trying to get young and promising talent, but we clearly need a difference maker now. Do you think the club will be forced to splurge the cash and pay in this market? And the insight on how the market works and changes would be great too. Thanks, Nahalamari. So, yeah, this is, a, this is a good and interesting question. I think Madrid clearly pivoted and just made a change in their transfer policy um, probably, I felt like it was a little bit before, but it's after the Neymar transfer. I mean, we all know that completely inflated and just revolutionized the market. Um, and so now Madrid's whole tactic, their whole strategy is to pay for these young players that they think have the potential to be worth that 200 to $300 million so that they don't have to splash that cash um, down the road. And I think... I mean, the question asked, will we be forced to play in this market? Will we be forced to play, um, pay some of these bigger fees? And I think ultimately, yes, I think we will have to. But I think it's the, the figure is like $250 million, $300 million. I think we're only going to see that for Neymar or Mbappe. I don't think the club's going to really do it for anyone else. Maybe $200 million for Harry Kane. I don't know. I, we, I mean, we, we haven't. As much as we all want it, we haven't really seen many rumors linking him to us. Um, but even with Hazard last summer, I mean, he begged for us to come, and we didn't. Ohm wrote a fantastic article, and we've all we've all talked about it, saying, "Hey, yeah, this is what he brings to the table. This is what he has. 
Um, he's definitely one of the best players on the planet, but is he worth that $250 million? And or however much it was going to be. And the question and the answer for Madrid was no, not at that time. What we're seeing is that they're waiting for players to maybe wind down their contract like Hazard has done. He now has one year left. And I wouldn't be surprised now if Madrid goes in for him because he'll be heavily discounted and probably at his normal uh, market value prior to the Neymar transfer. We did the same thing with Courtois. So I think that's another strategy Madrid's using. Um, But I think they're trying to avoid splashing that big cash unless it's for a player they truly truly think is worth it yeah overpaying is okay i think if depending on who it is and kind of like it's weird how you define overpay because if you're okay with overpaying quote unquote for someone then it means is it really overpaying if you're if it's just kind of an inflated version of you know someone that's going to give you huge return of investment is even really qualified as overpaying at that point i guess it depends on who the player is like people maybe don't don't always remember that Vinicius Jr. I'd say was an overpayment. It was sixty one million for a sixteen year old. So will that be regarded as an overpayment five years from now? Maybe, maybe not. Cristiano Ronaldo, a lot of people thought that was an overpayment at the time when we signed him. Obviously it was just a penny pennies now in con- in hindsight. There were rumors of signing Rodrigo Moreno for almost ninety million in the off season, that's an overpayment, like clear as clear as day. Um, but would you splash 200 or 300 on Neymar and Mbappe? And would that be an overpayment? I think it would be possibly an overpayment worth, worth taking. Um, would Hazard be worth that? I don't think so. Uh, so it really depends on who would, I think there were three players that I would think about overpaying for. And that, I think you already touched on them. One is Neymar, one is Mbappe, and the other one is Harry Kane. Those three, I think, are would like be huge difference makers and would just change the complexion of your season. I think, um, but depending on who it is, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't make sense to enter the market with a huge price price tag for Rodrigo Moreno, for example. So it really depends on who it is. <clears throat> yeah, I I agree with your three, and I think the thing with PSG is really interesting because. I mean, we clearly saw that Madrid did not want to ruffle their feathers this summer with the um, official statement saying, no, we haven't talked to Neymar, no, we haven't talked to Mbappe. Um, I mean, it was more than once this summer, and that I mean, it was a clear intention. They did not want to piss off PSG, and I think that's, that's interesting. It's one of the um, first clubs, I mean, they know it, it's dangerous to piss off PSG just because of um, just the incredible wealth that they have and the vengeance they already showed against Barcelona. So my my feeling on that is, and that's part of the reason why I think if you do get Neymar and Mbappe, it's not going to be an overpayment situation. I think it could be just you wait till their contracts expire. Which for I Mbappe, I, I can't remember. I remember looking this up, but I, I, I don't have it in front. I believe it was um, 2021 his contract ends. That's not that far away for a player of his age. So it's possible that if you're going to get someone of that caliber, and this is the other reason, like if people are crying for for Real Madrid to sign one or two of these guys, there's always context and like, is it even possible? But if he, so I'm just checking now, his contract runs out uh, 2022. So that I that may seem like a long way away, but if if he's entering his peak at that time, then it's a bit different. Um, the problem is Real Madrid need someone now. So then, essentially, who do you overpay for is is a big question. I think we'll. I I, I think Kane is someone like that is is viable in the off season, especially depending on depending on what happens with Pochettino. Um, Neymar's contract, by the way, also goes to twenty twenty two. So you know it's it's tough to say, but that could be a route that Real Madrid may may wait out on. I'm not sure. Um, Sajid Reyes says. First of all, I want to wish you guys a happy new year and thanks for the great job that you guys continue to do on MM. Thank you, Sajid. Um, Sajid says, I listened to the response you guys had about Isco and I was very happy with the response you guys gave. Yes, I get it. You guys don't have an agenda for or against any player at Madrid, etc. But I will say this, and this isn't particularly directed at you guys, but to our fan base in general. I feel like we are perhaps subconsciously guilty of overindulging certain figures in the game and underindulging some which kind of compromises the neutral objective analysis that we aim to convey. 
Pochettino is a typical example. He's a great coach and probably my number one choice to be the next manager of Real Madrid, but he is almost immortalized in our circles into this mythical figure when he clearly has had his fallible moments. Marcelo is another example. I absolutely adore him, by the way, uh, as a Brazilian Real Madrid supporter and everything he represents. But to say that he is undoubtedly better than Roberto Carlos is another example that fuels this narrative of overindulgence. As unbelievably amazing as he has been, he, he was in the bench in La Decima year, and even now he is not always a permanent starter for Brazil when they look for more defensive balance. Similarly, there's been a lot of talk amongst neutrals that Alba has been better this year. Not that I agree with this opinion, but maybe we need feedback on other teams' fans on these players, etc. Isco is an example of player underindulgence in our fan base. And I'm not typically an Isco fan. I wanted James to join us and replace him, but he turned the tables on me in 16-17, and I'm convinced he needs to play because we play a better position possession-based system when we play with him. There's a lot here. I, I, so I think a lot of this can be subjective. I will say the Marcelo, Roberto Carlos thing is interesting in a way because Roberto Carlos was one of the most indispensable players in Real Madrid history to the point where like you would see an unbelievable drop-off when he wasn't on the pitch. And um, and this is you know coming from someone who, who grew up and watched the peak of Roberto Carlos, saw his decline, everything. Um, with Marcelo, it's true. I think in general, right now there is recency bias in anything anything does, not just in Real Madrid circles, where we think this player playing in this era is like way better than X player, you know, from a previous era. I often think like we do tend to overrate Ramos historically in that sense a little bit too. Whereas I've seen a lot of people say he's the best defender of all time. Like he's not. He's. I, I think like if you if you were around to watch someone like Maldini or Baresi or Nesta, like these giants play and like be so incredible game in, game out and just complete stalwarts defensively. I think you'd, you'd see the context of how great they were. I will say um, someone someone who loves Roberto Carlos, me, um, I think Marcelo was past him. I do agree with Saji in the sense that it's sometimes fans make it so black and white, like with their takes, like, it's not even close Marcelo was better or it's not even close Roberto Carlos was better. I think I think there is room for like just some some discussion at least, at the very least. But I do think Marcelo was past Roberto Carlos. Yeah, I think um a lot of what Sajid said is probably fair and it's just something that as human beings we can't help but do. You have an affection for a player, you just kinda you feel something about a certain, whether it's the way he plays, the style, whatever it is, his background, his story, where he comes from. You're always going to um, feel something for some players over other players. And as Madridistas, maybe sometimes we have a little bit more bias towards our players. But um, that, I mean, I, you always try to be as objective as possible and not be biased. But I think it's just human nature, whether, even if you're not a Madridista, I mean, you could still love um a player from liverpool when coutinho was at liverpool i mean that i love the way he plays just you always have kind of these players that you pick and choose that you maybe feel a little bit something more for and sometimes you can't help but have that um kind of be a part of your analysis um but i would also also add that um mar i so i saw I didn't see all the peak of Roberto Carlos, and I saw him more during the decline, but I completely agree with you that there was a huge drop-off the second you took him off the pitch. And I think that more that a lot of that had to do with the depth issues Real Madrid had. They nowhere near had the squad um, we have now. And again, I think that gets to the point where Sajid says, maybe we glorify these players too much. And But again, these are guys who won the Champions League three times in a row now, four times in five years. And we saw how good they were against the When they really bring it, that's, the thing that's frustrating for us is their inconsistencies, um, especially in the league. But when they really bring it, oh, my God. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And they, and they turn it on in the Champions League against the best teams. And we saw, we've seen them play under Zidane, especially in literally any type of system and any type of match and just somehow get these results. Yeah, and I think that in itself is like... <clears throat> That basically justifies rating players so high. Is that 
if you can't overrate a team that has won three in a row, four and five, then who can you overrate? It's like, you know, this is like the basically the pinnacle of, of like exactly. what we're looking yeah. for in a player, in, in the team, like the mentality, the talent, etc. Everything put together. Um, I do think that Alba's had a better year than Marcelo. I, um, but I agree I, with that. But I'm not going to take Alba over Marcelo on a, on a, in a Champions League final because there's just Marcelo just can do more. And he's just been way better over the course of his career. Kunal Tilakar says, Hey, I was too late to ask my question. Sorry about that. Wanted to get my question in for the year-end podcast, but was unable to do so. Anyways, I had a slightly different question. I live in India, and very recently I have seen a couple of big clubs beginning to get interested in the country, but nothing major. No club has come in and set up a big million-dollar academy to develop talent. I mean, India is the world's second most populated country, and China is the first... And China is the first. India actually has more youngsters than China, and the Chinese government is actively investing in football too. Why does a club like Real Madrid not come out and develop the infrastructure necessary to develop world-class talent? A few good players to come out of the academy would suddenly make it all worth it, wouldn't it? Any thoughts on this? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I think you could plug the U.S. in there as well. Um, But I mean, when you look at kind of how Madrid scouts and where they put their money in terms of the youth infrastructure, um, they put it all in their facilities in Madrid, in Real Madrid City, as they call it, in Valdebedas, in Alfredo Di Stefano Stadium. They've just totally revitalized that in the since the 21st century and just poured money into that. And we're seeing, I'm actually working on an article, we're seeing um, the produce of that. I mean, we're seeing the dividends because look at the number of players in La Liga that came from Real Madrid's youth academy. Look at the players that came from our youth academy just in the Real Madrid squad now. I mean, it's yeah, completely... Yeah, there's a ton of them. They're filled. Yeah, yeah, it's completely flipped from... I mean, we used to see Barcelona have all the... And it, it just... I know it pissed me off. It pissed most fans off. Every, they were the ones known for the homegrown talent. Well, now, I mean, that script has flipped and that's because we've invested so much in our youth facilities. So I think Madrid will... We've seen it. Take Fede Valverde from Uruguay and put him into Castilla. Take Martin Odegaard from Norway and put him in Castilla. Like, find these youngsters. Uh, Good Johnson's son, who's like 12, now plays for, he's from Iceland. He now plays for Real Madrid, you see. And they just won um, the La Liga Promises League. And so, Interesting. I mean, yeah, so they were, I think Madrid's tactic more is rather than kind of venture out to all these different nations is to identify the best player there and then bring him to Madrid. Um, obviously, there's FIFA rules and things like that, where, which would, which almost caused us to transfer ban, but that you have to be careful with. But I think that's the ultimate goal. Um, but I mean, you look at the city, Manchester City model. There, it's very interesting what they're doing, and it's almost scary. I mean, they're purchasing club. We know what they're doing with Girona. They have a club. They have New York City FC and MLS. They have, I think it's. I can't remember what club they have in Australia. Um, they have all these clubs that they're purchasing, and they're basically using them as youth systems and filtering out players. And it's like that may be the way of the future. I don't know if Real Madrid will ever go that route, but then that would be something where, hey, yeah, you should have something in the U.S. You should have something in China. You should have something in India. Um, and that's kind of how Manchester City is building out right now, and that, that's a little bit scary. So this is a fascinating discussion to me. And I think um, I've always liked the idea. So like the whole Manchester City Girona thing is interesting to me because I've always liked the idea of Real Madrid having a club like that where they can guarantee players on loan minutes. And I would love that. Yeah, uh, we have like over the years, like, for example, we've used Getafe as a good guinea pig for our, for a lot of our players who have just like an amicable amicable agreement there um whether it was you know i think the probably the most de la red and granera yeah i think those two de la red particularly was probably the best out of all of them unfortunately we know we had, yeah. we had the heart condition you know, big what if but danny parejo as well parejo was there um I believe Soldado was there at one point I yeah yep, sarabia went through there before we sold him to yeah yeah yep 
I've always liked the idea of having a club like that. Like now, maybe like Ronaldo Fenomeno buying Valladolid can maybe maybe we form a relationship with him. We know how close he is to the club. We know how much him and Florentino are friends, and maybe that develops into a club for us because they're also very close to home. And that I think that would actually be quite ideal if we just filled them with with a bunch of players. Um, Obviously, we still don't own that club. It would just be a good relationship. So it's kind of tough. I always like that about the NBA. And um, following the Raptors as closely as I do, we have the Raptors 905 in Toronto. So essentially, they're in the G League, NBA G League, which is the second tier, which is like where players go to develop. And they have a team that they just own. They just pump young players they buy there. So they can stash them and get them playing time, get them to game fitness. Um and so that was always appealing to me. It's it's kind of more complicated in soccer. I will say like the, about the India thing. I believe PSG, Arsenal, uh, maybe Liverpool also has an academy in India. Real Madrid doesn't. But I think like if they wanted to get talent from India or China or, or Brazil, which is where they're going, I think to me, like if you're going to prioritize, it probably would have to be in Brazil somewhere. Um, so you can... You can scoop them out without having to pay fifty, sixty million million every yeah. time. Um, but again, like to your point, I think if if someone came out in India or China, which uh, don't take this the wrong way, <laughs> maybe not you because you're not Indian or Chinese. But maybe <laughs> if you're Indian Chinese, listen to this. Don't take this the wrong way. I don't. I don't see that as probable only because just the sheer fact of probability. I know the population is big. The, the greatest player in the history of these clubs will only get so far. I'm not saying that's going to continue to case, be the case. That will change. There, at some point, there's enough people there and the infrastructure comes and the money comes, things will change. But if that player comes along, Real Madrid can just buy him. They don't need a whole academy to do it. And so yeah, if the okay. question is, would one or two players breaking through and becoming superstars would be worth the, the, for the academy... I don't think so because in the in that situation, if they're really great enough and Real Madrid wants to buy them, then they could easily just buy him instead of having an academy to to support that infrastructure. Um, two more questions. Tyler Simon says, with the almost confirmed signings of Diaz and Palacios, uh, we add more young talent to this team. But why haven't we signed a center back yet? In my opinion, Javi Sanchez will only be as good as Nacho and Valle- as Nacho. And Vallejo is a walking injury, which is a proven fact. With Sergio Ramos hitting 33 next year, why haven't we been looking for a new young center back to partner with Varane? Hala Marir. Yeah, I can, uh, I can take a stab at this one. I, I have four names that I'll throw out. Um, and Kian, I'm interested to hear your take on this. Some of, them, some of them we've talked about before. But it is interesting that we really haven't heard much of the center back, um, center back rumors. I think if there is movement on that, it won't be in the winter. It will be in the summer. And, I mean, we know everyone talks about um, the Ajax captain, center back, Delete. Um, but there has been zero talk of him with being linked to Madrid. Maybe, maybe after um, some impressive performances against us in the Champions League, that could change. But, honestly, it's been really surprising that we haven't been part of that bidding war Um Maybe we'll make a, a late move, but it's just there's been very little talk. And then on a second name, one you and I have talked about again on the Lone Tracker pod is uh, Zagadou from Dortmund. Huge 20 year old French center back. He's been phenomenal this season, looks really good, um, just has all the tools to be a top class center back. I, w- I, I really rate him. Um, we've been linked, obviously, with Mario Hermoso. So that's the third option, and obviously that's affordable. He's been through our youth academy. He's Spanish. He's now full Spanish international. He's been great for Espanol this season um, and last season. And he's, I mean, he'd be a good, I think, kind of holdover option while we still have Sergio Ramos. And then one, the last name that I've never talked about with you, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I don't know much about him, um, but I have seen us be linked with him on a couple of occasions is this Porto center back, 20 year old Eder. And I'm going to probably butcher his name, Militao. Um, he's apparently one of the top, top center backs in Portugal right now. He, again, he's 20 years old. He's got pace. 
um, composure, strength, and he's one we've been linked with. Yeah, I I haven't seen him play. Um, I have a Porto go-to guy, which I always ask about. So maybe I'll ask him. I all I know is that I've seen Barca been linked with him heavily, and also Barca's been linked with Delict also. So they they seem to be on the surface anyway, at least more keen to sign a center back. Um, I think I've always questioned why we haven't been signed a center back for maybe since last season, I think. Uh, just because we know like the situation already, we don't, we don't need to talk about it as much. Um, on the depth chart, we have four, but it's really not four because of injuries and suspensions. And um, by the way, if Javi Sanchez becomes Nacho, I think that's a good ceiling. Like, I, think, <laughs> I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. Yeah, no way. <laughs> um, Vallejo's injury concerns do worry because they're even like they're even worse than Varane's were, and because sometimes people try try to draw parallels, but Vallejo's are actually much more prolific than Varane's were. Um, but I mean, we've been linked with Hermoso, like you said, um, so I I don't think it's completely off the table. We sign a fifth center back. I always said, and always as in like the last like couple weeks. The best case scenario for us is if we squeak by Ajax, we we advance, but De Ligt has the game of his life, the games of his life, and totally totally swoons Florentino because I would I would really like to not miss out on him. I think he's phenomenal. I agree. I'm I'm just so surprised we haven't been in like just even mentioned, and I mean apparently this is what's been uh, reported and rumored. Barca only has the money to get one of uh, De Jong or De Ligt. And yeah, their apparently financial situation they're going, isn't great. Yeah, apparently they've opted for De Jong. Um, so I've seen Manchester City, I've seen Juventus, Bayern Munich, but I just Real Madrid's name is not ever in that circle for some reason. <clears throat> well, De Jong, as great as he is, it's not an emergency need for us. But um, I think the reason why we haven't seen much center-back rumors, one, like, I think there's also a period of time where at this current kind of state of affairs in world football, there isn't like a huge plethora of world-class centre-backs. This season now, you know, we have players like Koulibaly and uh, Van Dijk and De Ligt and and some some really great centre-backs now, but you're not going to sign them. If you sign them, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to start either of them over Ramos or Varane? Maybe you should or you could, but it's going to be hard to displace. So I think they're like, can we sign anyone to really even displace these two? Because these are two of the best, if not the best, on their day. Um, you can't sign them and ask them to be on the bench. And then if you're signing, okay, someone in the Hermoso tier, is Hermoso better than Nacho and Vallejo? Which, in my opinion, as good as he's looked this year and, the, and last year too, he's not. So I think that's why it's such a tricky position to fill. Yeah, it's, this is probably one of the most difficult decisions the club will have to make in the summer because it's very. I think it's a fine line and it's a dangerous game to play because, like, like we don't know when the Ramos drop off will happen. We don't know if the injury. Like, I think we're already starting. I think maybe, we're seeing some of it. Yeah, I think we're starting to see some of it, and it's a risk to go into. I mean, it, it's so hard because. We we saw the same thing with Raul and Casillas and all these legends. Like it's so hard to actually be the one to take them out of the lineup, um, and you don't want to do it prematurely, and you don't want to you want to do it with respect and you want to do it the right way. But at the same time, you need to make sure that you're securing your future and signing what could be a generate the next generational center back. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a dangerous dangerous game, and it's hard to find the right balance last question from eric nadasi he says what are your bold predictions for 2019 happy new year and hala Madrid. it can be bold prediction it can be bold predictions okay hit us matt uh, all right all right so i did think about i've got maybe a couple um so one bold prediction pochettino does not come to madrid in 2019 Ooh, it was kind of a tease. <laughs> yeah does not come to madrid in 2019 he stays with spurs because he wants to be part of the new stadium and help them enter there and finish out that project but 
at the same point, Solari does not stay in 2019, and we have a new manager. Who? I don't know. But that's one of my bold predictions. That was very safe. That was a very safe answer. You basically told you us nothing. You thought that nothing. was safe? Yeah, because you told us... You told us we're not. Well, gonna I feel get... like everyone thinks we're gonna get Pochettino this summer. <clears throat> I mean, or I think everyone ho- everyone would hope for him. Uh, I think it's. I can't tell if it's bold to say he won't. We won't sign him, or we will sign him. Maybe it's fifty. I, I feel like everyone thinks we will, or that he'll at least leave to go to Manchester United or Real Madrid, which I don't think he would ever go to Manchester. But I, I think if he had the choice. Between those two, and it was totally up to him, he'd go to Real Madrid for obvious reasons. One yeah. is like you don't piss off your your own fan base. Yeah, um, you're you don't you don't particularly like Barcelona. Would probably love to put up tactical masterclasses against them. So I that's I, and he spoke well of Real Madrid always, always, always. Yeah. And if he brings Harry with him, great. I I. I I think it's fifty fifty. So I yeah, I I'm gonna too. I'm gonna stick with what I said and say that you you played it safe. Okay. Having said that, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can. I'm not sure what bold predictions I really have this year. Um, my so. my my only because uh, I haven't thought about this. I should have maybe thought about it. I. My my personal feeling, though, Matt, in my hunch is not necessarily a prediction, bold prediction, or but just a hunch. I think that this is a transition year where we win nothing. Um, I did predict before the season started that we win La Liga and Copa del Rey. We'd crash out in the semis. I'm going to stick to that, but I'm also just going to completely not be surprised if we go trophyless. My other prediction, though, is that I think this is a very short turnaround to being great again next season. I think this is a year where we're just not good. And then it's like almost this rebuild phase, but it's only a one-year rebuild. And then next year we get someone who is actually um, kind of like this game-changing talent. And I'm going to say maybe it's Harry Kane. And I think we bring James back. Maybe some kind of shift things around a bit. I would not be surprised if we move Modric on, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed either. Bring Kovacic back. I think the team has a fresh feel to it next season, and it goes back to being good with a good tactician in charge. So I have um, three names I'm going to throw your way, and I want to hear your bold predictions for these names. Okay. First name, Brahim Diaz. Well... So we haven't actually officially signed him. So what are you asking yeah. me? So if we officially sign him, what's your prediction? I'm not. I'm not that excited about him. Uh, um, I think he. I, I. I have a feeling maybe if if we when we do officially sign him, which is not official yet, by the way. I think he plays sporadically. Um, and I don't think he's better than Asensio or Isco. So I, I think, uh, I'm not. Let's just say that I don't think he's gonna make it big time for us. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets loaned out after he'll he'll probably if he signs this winter, stay for the winter and then get loaned out maybe in the summer. Maybe, but I I think uh, that yeah, it's good could be. Second name Rodrigo. Rodrigo Gosh. Yes, Gosh. I would love to see him. You're asking me for predictions, not feelings. So I, yeah, um, I think he comes two years from now. Two years. So you don't think he comes this summer? I think he he comes. He plays the preseason and then then gets loaned out to a European team. Yeah, or back to Santos. Okay, uh, and then last, Vinicius prediction. I think Vinicius is part of the full team next year. How often do you think he's playing? Like 12th man? Um, I think less than that. I think more of yeah. like a Morata James type role, which was less than a 12th man, but yeah. but still important. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. That was more, that was more difficult than I thought it would be. 
Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's because we... I don't we, even know my answers to Well, question. it's because we have just so much to choose from right now. That's, I think yeah. that's why. So, like, we could also ask Odegaard, like, what's going to happen with him yeah. next year? Odegaard, Fede, Palacios. I mean, the list goes on and on. Fede is so good. I, I So, I think... And that's the other reason why, like... I'm really curious to know what happens with Modric. And historic, we've never, ever really been a team that just keeps our legends around. And, you know? Yeah. And so... Yep. I don't know what happens with Modric this summer, but I wouldn't be surprised. That's why I would not be surprised if he leaves. Um, but I will, I think, I will say about Odegaard, I think he's ready. I don't think he's out of place at all if he comes to La Liga and plays in week in, week out. I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, so, I'd, I'd much. Yeah. That's why I wouldn't, it wouldn't like, wouldn't bother me at all if he's just part of the first team next year and he's coming so, off the bench. I agree with that, but personally, I would almost rather. He, instead of being part of the first team and coming off the bench, I would rather he just get one more year in La Liga playing week in and week out yeah. just so that he gets that and then come back. How, I, I mean, him. if we can somehow twist Ronaldo Phenomeno to be like, can you imagine if yeah. we had a team at Valladolid where we have we get to watch Vinicius and Odegaard on the flanks for oh. a year? Oh my god! <laughs> we wouldn't miss a Valladolid game. Yeah, seriously. From his, from Ronaldo's point of view, his the market, you know, his team would skyrocket. Yeah, you're right. I got it's, I mean, it's a win-win. What's yeah, stopping I mean, either is. of us from doing this? <laughs> yeah, he, he probably is. Valladolid probably become like definitely like above average La Liga team fighting for a European spot. We keep pumping them with talented players. We develop them. Put in that clause where they can't play against, which I don't actually don't care about that much, but it's a win-win. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We're gonna we'll make see. It Maybe I, it, it could happen. We'll see this summer. I think this summer we'll see a potentially more. We'll see if that really comes to fruition this summer because Ronaldo came in really late last summer. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, Matt Wiltsey, anything to plug? Um, not at the moment. I am, like I said, I'm gonna. I don't know when this will come out, but I'm going to try and write a big article kind of on what Madrid's doing with their youth infrastructure and how we have reaped the benefits of that and um, just a little bit on how we flipped the script from Barca being kind of the homegrown, having all the homegrown talent to us now, um, really prioritizing that. Um, And we'll, uh, you know, I guess keep it locked on managing Madrid for all the match coverage for Villarreal hopefully a W there get 2019 started off with three points um, and uh, that's it from us so until next time Hala Madrid Hala Madrid Kian Sobani back just to give our patrons a quick shout out um, and specifically our $10 patrons because as you know by now if you pledge $10 or more you get a specific shout out on the podcast so shout out to all these amazing $10 plus patrons Red Bat, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Mark Rady, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Raghav Reddy, Oluwapamimo Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maridisco San Francisco Bay Area, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Basincic, Sway Ayala, Rafael Servia, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Carolina Reyes, and Daniel Smith. Thank you so much, guys, for your support. You guys are all amazing. Um, again, from the bottom of our heart, you guys are just fantastic, and it means a lot to us to support the show in this way. All right, guys. Have a happy new year. Hala Marie.